0: Amen. Thank you, Russell. Good morning. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome to Common Ground Community Church. I'm John Davis. I'm the pastor here at Common Ground Community Church. We're glad you're worshiping with us today. And if you're watching us online, we can't wait to meet you at 1045 here at Bryan Elementary. So come on down and see us. We're uh, continuing our study this morning and uh, some of you are, are uh, on the distribution of our newsletter and you saw a sign that I put up uh, on our newsletter that said, you know, everything happens for a reason, and sometimes it's because you're stupid and make bad decisions. Did anybody see that that, this week? If you haven't seen that before, it's like like a motto for life for me in a lot of ways. Not that I uh, project that upon other people, but sometimes I I have to understand that about myself, that sometimes bad things happen because I made a bad decision, um, even though it's easier and a whole lot more fun to point the blame at somebody else and, and not take responsibility for that. But it is true to an extent that sometimes bad things just happen and sometimes uh, we create those bad things and we look for different ways to get around that and to move around that. And so this morning as we continue walking through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, we get to a place where most Christians especially don't like to think about this passage of scripture. Uh, I'm a big fan of movies, and you you all know that, and one of my favorite actors is Denzel Washington, and there's a a picture of Denzel up here that I I took, and I don't know if you can see it from there as well, but this is from the movie Glory, and and in this film, it's one of the the best movies I think that he's ever really done, and in this film, um, he is a freed slave because he has agreed to fight for the Union. The, the, the challenge is is that because he is fighting for the Union, he's still not equal. And so the, the Union Army has not issued him all the, the full rights, responsibilities, the uniform, and everything else. And so at some point they realize that, that most of these men who have uh, ran away from slavery or who have accepted freedom in order to fight for the Union don't have socks. And so their feet, as they're learning to march and do all these other things, are in really bad shape. And so he runs away uh, to a nearby farmhouse and steals socks. And he gets caught doing so. And, and so this scene unfolds as, as he's being uh, flogged for having ran away and for having stolen socks. Now, you're welcome to form any opinion you, you, you wish about that. Uh, but, but the point I want us to really draw out is that he stands there and he just takes his beating. Now, as they remove his shirt, there's all these scars on his back because this is not a new thing for him. This has happened to him before. He knows what's happening here. And the idea that I kind of want to present on this side of the movie is that he stood there and he took it and he was angry and he was frustrated and he did the right thing by going to get socks because those who would provide for him did not provide for him. But there was a consequence to be paid for that. And he was willing to do that even though he didn't like it, but he was was accustomed to being treated badly. And as he stood there, he took a couple of lashes and then finally you see a, a single tear run down his face. And, and the, the, the white major that was overseeing this punishment, he was resolved in carrying out the military order, but you could tell he was deeply disturbed by this, that he did not like what happened, but he had no choice but to carry out this discipline. Now, I tell you that story because I want you to understand that sometimes we bring about a measure of persecution upon ourselves, and other times it's just thrust upon us for whatever reason. I think the tragedy uh, of, of, of our early American history is absolutely rooted in slavery. I think there's a terrible tragedy that so much of our early American history is rooted in slavery. And that slavery was a part of our country becoming uh, what, it, what it is today. I don't think we we're ever going to be able to make up for that terrible, terrible time in our history. But I think it's an absolute tragedy that, that an entire race of people were persecuted because of the color of their skin. And I don't think there's enough apology to go around to fix that. Uh, but, but I don't want to stop at just racial persecution. I want us to understand that persecution exists in so many different ways. Well, One of my favorite authors, and he really wasn't uh, an author per se, is actually writing a whole lot of books. He wrote some, but we have his memoirs. There's a guy named Diedrich Bonhoeffer. And Diedrich Bonhoeffer is a guy that understood what it was to be fully persecuted for his beliefs and for his practices. Now, in the 1930s, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German theologian. His family, one of seven kids, his family did not like that he was a pastor, did not even really like that he was a Christian. And and Dietrich Bonhoeffer was going around as Hitler rose to power as chancellor and then supreme chancellor over Germany. He went around from church to church to church, and he told them, do not let this, this Adolf Hitler guy raise to power. Don't let him speak from your pulpits. Don't let him bring this nationalistic pride ideal, this Aryan race ideal. Don't let him do this. And don't let the church be a voice for him to be able to do that. Because if he does, terrible, terrible things are going to happen. Not just in our country, but around the world. As time progressed, what Dietrich Bonhoeffer realized was that he was going to have to fight against this because the church wasn't listening. And so part of his plan was, I'll just join the, the SS, the, the, the Nazi secret service, so that I can begin to plot how to get rid of and depose this leader. And so at one point, he actually was an SS officer. And part of his job, because he was a theologian, was to go to these, these conferences all over Europe and report back to the German Reich about what was going on in the world of Christendom around Europe. And report who these people were. And report who some of these Germans might be who are still subscribing to, to real Christianity and not elevating Adolf Hitler as the second coming of Jesus, which is part of what he wanted to do. And so he, he, he begins to get disturbed by this. And there's a phrase that he didn't coin, but I think it describes it well. What he realized was the best way to avoid persecution is to look like your persecutor. And so he looked like the persecutor when he was in his SS uniform and working for the Nazis, and he really was bothered by this. He actually went to America, and, and in the process of that, he was asked to stay, asked to stay, and he didn't do it. And he wrote a letter back to a friend named Niebuhr, and he said this, he says, I have made a mistake in coming to America. I must live through this difficult period in our national history with the Christian people of Germany. I got to go back. I will have no right to participate in the reconstruction of Christian life in Germany after the war if I do not share the trials of this time with my people. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was eventually imprisoned by the, the German army. He was a, 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 a devout man caring for multiple prisoners, many of which were German prisoners that were, that were imprisoned by their own people. And on April 9th, 1945, he walked to the gallows and he was hung. He was described during that time by many who watched this that they had never seen a more devout man committed to the mission of God. The next day, Berlin was liberated by the, by the Allies' powers. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote many a great book, and if you ever wanted a great book on, on solid theology about what real grace, as he calls it, cheap grace is not, I'd recommend you read more about him. Diedrich Bonhoeffer understood that the best way to avoid persecution was to look like your persecutor. And he realized that that was not right, not just morally, but it wasn't right because that's not what God had for him to do. That he was going to have to stand in the face of oppression no matter what the cost of that was. And it absolutely cost him his life. Many of the memoirs and letters that we have about him were actually written on the back of of wallpaper and on calendars and stuff like that. He was a God-fearing man who gave his life. He knew on some level that he could not defeat this Third Reich, this Nazi regime. He knew that. But he also knew that the more churches, the more Christians, the more good people just sat back and let nothing happen, the worse it was going to get. If you have your Bible with you this morning, I want us to continue to look at persecution from the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 10 through 12 this week. We're going to kind of move through a couple of verses here to help us understand as Jesus is continuing to have a conversation with his disciples. He, we just last week talked about... Um, how important it was for us to, 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 to be peacemakers, to know God's peace, and to be peacemakers to walk into a world that is struggling to be reconciled to God and to share with them the good news of the gospel, and that that's what it means to really be a Christ follower. What I didn't tell you last week, that if you want to know what a peacemaker looks like, you just go back to the previous uh, eight verses before that, and you see that, that peacemakers are, are humble, uh, they're, they're meek, they're poor in spirit, they rely upon God. It's kind of a checklist of what it means. And so as we're wrapping up this section of the Sermon on the Mount, we get to this part that most Christians don't want to talk about, and that's persecution. And it's because we, we misunderstand what persecution really is. And so let's read these verses that, that Jesus is sharing with his disciples. Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now you've heard that kingdom of heaven before. You heard it earlier in one of the, the previous Beatitudes, the first one actually. Then he says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. Don't forget that word, falsely, on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus is is clarifying a simple ideal of persecution here and helping them to understand that if you follow me, you're going to be persecuted. Now, here's the thing about that. Persecution is the cause of Christ, and it should be the cause of Christ. It's not the cause that we go out looking and saying, oh, please, I want to get persecuted. I mean, you've all heard the words suffering for Jesus, right? And it's usually somebody who's on a mission trip uh, that has beautiful clean water and everything else, and they're taking a day off. I, I've seen that before. Or I'm suffering for Jesus because I've decided not to, to buy this or spend this. Or i turned my cable off so I can give a little bit more to the church. I'm suffering for Jesus. Listen, that's not suffering for Jesus. I mean, trust me, it's not suffering for Jesus. And to be fair, the last thing we, we should really do is go out promoting our own suffering because we want people to look at us at what we're doing. What Jesus is really saying is that complete joy, blessed, complete satisfaction, a complete wholeness will be given to those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for those who seek to live a righteous life, for those who seek to have God create in them a new heart they're going to be persecuted because they're not going to fit. They will be the proverbial square peg in the round hole of this world. And they're not going to fit in, and they're not going to fit in with intent and with purpose. And they're not going to have to call a lot of attention to themselves because whenever good walks into an environment that is uh, predominantly evil, they're not going to fit in. And there are forces in this world that are going to point towards that person, and persecution is going to happen. The reward of righteousness actually is persecution in God's kingdom. Because if you are going to inherit the earth, it's going to be yours. You're going to get the promise of because you have paid for that in your beliefs and your values and how you stood strong in those. And so Jesus is saying, listen, blessed are you who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, not for foolishness, not for bad decisions, not for being holier than thou, not for your self-righteousness, but for how you are right with God. Blessed are those who have a good relationship with God, who is their Redeemer. They're going to be persecuted. Give people a reason to falsely accuse. This is another thing that Jesus is saying. Those who revile you and falsely accuse you, falsely accuse you for my sake. Do you, you notice there that what Jesus is saying is this, this isn't about you, which that's one of the hardest phrases for me to ever hear. Hey, listen, I appreciate what you're saying. It's not about you. It didn't really have anything to do with you. This is about Jesus. This is about living a life that doesn't promote how bad you've got it, but how good your God is. Because even in the worst of circumstances, an unchanging God is exactly what we need. And so when we are blessed because we're persecuted for righteousness' sake, when people falsely accuse us, when they revile us and mock us to our face, then we understand a little bit more about what it is to to be like Jesus do you remember the thieves on the cross? One that was on his left and one that was on his right? And as, as they began to hang there and suffer that day, one said, if you're really the son of God, then heal us, take us off this cross, rescue us from this. And the other one says, he's really who he says he is. And all the way to their death, the one thief continued to mock Jesus, to revile him, to speak poorly about him, as he stood there, hung there, an innocent man for all of humanity. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, when people revile and mock you to your face, blessed are you when you just stand there and take it because there's a bigger picture. It's not about you. Finally, those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake are in good company. This is what we when we don't understand the Old Testament well, and I invite you... Make sure you get in the Old Testament in your Bible studies. Don't just stick in the New Testament. Because some of the Old Testament prophets had it really, really bad. One of my favorite Old Testament prophets is Jeremiah. And Jeremiah basically kind of declared from the Lord. He said to him, Jeremiah, here's what I want you to do. I want you to stay in Jerusalem. And I want you to preach to a bunch of people all the rest of your life, 30, 40, 50 years from now. I want you to continue to preach to these people. Now, they're not going to listen to you. They're not going to agree with you. They're going to fight you, spit on you, steal your stuff, beat you up. The king is going to be a friend to you in private, but in public he's going to ridicule and he's going to, he's, he's going to make you a bad guy around here. But Jeremiah, I want you to stay here and I want you to continue to preach the good news of one that's going to come and redeem people of their sins. And Jeremiah said, okay, Lord, I'll do that. He's called a weeping pastor because I can only imagine what it's like to know you go out every single day and you're proclaiming God's goodness and people are talking about what a, what a madman and a lunatic and a crazy you are. And at some point, they just go, oh, that's that old crazy preacher again. That's, he's just, he gets on a soapbox and gets to go on and all this, and, and, and people start tuning you out, but yet he's faithful to continue to do what he's supposed to do. Many of the Old Testament prophets were actually executed and murdered. They were killed. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 36 says this, Others suffered mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. Now, if you're wondering about Christianity and desiring uh, maybe, you know, you want this forgiveness of Jesus, but you're not sure if you're willing to pay the price for this, you hear a passage like that and go, oh, sign me up. Where, where, Where do I take the flogging? Is there like a waiting list to be sawn in two? You know, I mean, I guess the camel clothing's not that bad, or the sheep. You know, I've, I've drank camel milk. It's, it's terrible. You'll survive. But if you're a Christ follower, you're thinking about becoming a Christ follower, do you re- is that really what you're looking for? Hey, I'm going to get beaten and flogged and sawn in two, and, and people are going to talk bad about me? Jesus is saying to his disciples here in this day, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And more than anything else, what we see about persecution is a couple of different things that I want to point out today. First and foremost, persecution, or if you're not writing anything down or you want today, you, you could write this down. And this is what I'm hoping for, is you've got to welcome persecution. Welcome persecution is proof of, of God's work in your life. Now, most people don't look at that and just go, oh yeah, persecution is great. But, but, but I want you to see today that there's an argument to be said that when I welcome persecution as, as God working in my life, what I see is, is that God loves me, and He loves others, and He wants to use me to do so. Now, it's not something that we just want to do. I want to welcome persecution. But if you will look with me in Scripture in a couple places, I want to kind of share the ideal and help you to understand that a little bit. First of all, persecution is a promise, not a possibility. Oh, yeah, warm and fuzzy. Here we go again. Persecution is a promise, not a possibility. There's nothing that says, I would like to be a follower of Christ. I would like to have my sins forgiven. I would like to have eternal life. I'd like to have have everything that I need. I'd like to be in the full presence of God for all of eternity. If you can promise me that the next 10, 20, 30, 60 years of my life are carefree and comfortable and I'm not getting beaten up or killed or my thing's stolen from me. But if that's what it requires, I'm really not sure I want to do that. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says this, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Not might be, run the risk of, they will be persecuted. Persecution is a promise, not a possibility. And, and we, don't, we don't talk enough about that. Because we so fear persecution, and it can look a lot of different ways. It can be physical, it can be emotional, it can be financial, it can be a lot of different ways that persecution impacts our lives, but we don't like to to put that out there as the the sales pitch for Christianity. But in the same breath, we shouldn't be going out there and saying we're looking for martyrs. Anybody want to sign up? I mean, that's a short list, right? Many years ago. Uh, a couple of years ago, I guess we took our son to Texas A and M to go look at, at, at colleges, and it was a transfer fair. So they have all the different colleges: biomedical sciences, agriculture, uh, liberal arts, business, all these different colleges. And it was really interesting because uh, liberal arts, which is what my wife and I both graduated from, there was like eight people working on the other side of the table and nobody standing in line. Then you look over here at the College of Business, and there's like. 50, 60 kids standing in line for the college of business. And I just laughed my head off because I went into the as college of business and realized I'm not good at this. And this is hard. And I don't want to work that hard. And I'm not that smart. And, and I'm not an engineer by any means because they were on the other end. And it, and it was interesting because they put business on this end and engineering on this end. And so the long lines were on the ends and everybody in the middle was nowhere. And so liberal arts has nobody. I'm like, hey, those are my people, right? And I walked over to him and I said this, here's what I would do if I were you. I would take my card and I would walk through this line and I would just start handing them out and I would just tell them this, see you soon. See you soon. See you soon. Because most of these kids think they're going to get into this college and they don't realize how hard it is to actually get in and stay in. But they want to be at A&M and guess what? They think there's an easier path by going to liberal arts. We'll see you soon. Listen, we don't do that with Christianity. We don't go up there and say, hey, Christianity's all great and wonderful. You're going to get beaten a little bit. You're going to have your stuff taken from you. People are going to think you're a weirdo. They're, they're going to they're challenge your fundamental beliefs of the existence of God, let alone the relationship that you can have with God. Uh, maybe. And because we don't say that outright, we just focus on, on all the good, which there's a lot of good. There's nothing but eternal good in trusting Jesus Christ. We sometimes miss out on just the absolute simplistic reality that persecution is a promise. It's going to happen, and we should look at that the right way to say, listen, when that happens, Jesus is promising his blessing to those who are persecuted. Well, I don't know Jesus, and so I don't know if I want to be persecuted. Listen, that's an eternal decision that you're going to make. It's going to be a bad one for you. The second thing I want you to see today is that persecution is, is power that frustrates evil. Now, now, I know you're probably thinking, well, what do you mean by this? Well, this is a familiar passage for many of you, John chapter five, uh, 15, verse 5. And and Jesus says this, he says, I am the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now you understand that, right? Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. Listen, you have to understand the wholeness of this statement. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can't even upset the devil apart from Jesus. I want you to just, just chew on that for a second you don't frighten him, you don't anger him, you don't upset him, you don't threaten him, you don't scare him apart from Jesus. I think about the sons of Sceva that are listed in the book of Acts, and, 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 and they're talking all big theology and all this stuff, and they come across these, these, these demon-possessed people, and they say, who are you? Now, Jesus we know, Paul we've heard of, we don't know who you guys are. And the demon-possessed guys proceeded to whip their butts It was a bad day for the self-righteous, okay? And so when we think about about, apart from me you can do nothing, when Jesus says, listen, the power to thwart evil, the power to upset the prince of darkness, the prince of the air, the prince of this world, the power to push back against him does not come in your own ability and your own self-righteousness. It comes in your knowledge and relationship with me. So you can't even upset the devil. You can't even make him afraid of anything apart from Jesus because it's not about you. You catch that? We don't like to look at that verse and think, oh, you mean with Jesus I'm a a warrior, I'm a fighter? Yes, you are. We look at this and go, we need Jesus. We do, you're right. But you need him desperately because you don't go punching holes in the darkness without the right light. And that's who Jesus is. Apart from him, you can do nothing. And so persecution is a power that frustrates evil. And when we we start thinking about the difference between good and evil, just like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, when he looked and said the third right is evil, and we've got to do something to defeat these guys. We're not going to do it on our own. He knew that it was going to require God in his life. The third thing that persecution does is that it prompts people to choose a side. Now, you, you know the beginning of this passage of Scripture in John chapter 3, John 3, 16. We, many of us know that verse. God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son. Whoever believes in Him will not perish, but has everlasting life. If you continue to read on in John chapter 3, this is why he's having a conversation with Nicodemus. If you can continue to read on in John chapter 3, you, you see that Jesus is, is further pulling apart The reality of eternal life with him and eternal life without him. It's really eternal death without him. And and what he says in John chapter 3 verses 19 through 21 is this. And this is the judgment. Or in some of your, your translations say verdict. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. And so light exposes. It brings about... When evil lurks in the dark corners and it's hiding out in the places where we don't want to talk about, we know it exists, and until we put a little light on it, we don't do that. It's kind of like that one room in your house where all the stuff goes just before guests come over. Ladies, you know the room I'm talking about? It's kind of like the one pantry or the one cabinet you don't want anybody opening because someone's going to get hurt when all the stuff falls out of it. It's kind of like when you tell your kids to clean their room, and what do they do? They jam it all into one place. Do you know what I'm talking about? Until light exposes that evil, until light exposes that darkness, it doesn't cause you to choose sides because what you've chosen is to hide all those things, to stay in the background, to not make a difference. But when light comes in, it it causes the darkness to run from that because people's works are evil. Verse 20 says, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true, comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that this work has been carried out in God. The reason why persecution chooses people and prompts people to choose sides is simply this. Have you ever watched somebody be persecuted because of something they did and go, man, that's what they get. That's their fault. They deserve that. You know, I, I, I can't help but clap when someone gets pulled over in my neighborhood. I get so excited when the constable is riding a ticket in my neighborhood. That just brings me a, a measure of joy that it's hard for me to explain because it's like Autobahn going down Falcon Landing. We're the first turn, and you go from, from, from Bay Hill over to Westheimer. It's like the Autobahn, and there's one four-way stop in the middle of all that, and people are just, I can't get out of my neighborhood, it, and it just make, it infuriates me, and then I'm one of those people that when I turn left across two lanes, I go like three miles per hour and the passenger, who's usually my lovely wife, is going, what are you doing? It's on my side. I'm like, I'm choosing. I'm choosing to slow those people down. She's like, it doesn't matter if we're dead and don't make it to the house. I said, we could die right here in the median because we'll never get there. We have to, we have to stand up against this. So I love when people get pulled over in my neighborhood. I know that's terrible about me. There's nothing righteous about that. I'm not a better person because they're paying a ticket. I don't see that my taxes go down because we're getting more revenue from writing tickets in my neighborhood. Na- I don't see that at all. Whenever Jesus says the light exposes the darkness and those who love the dark hide because their deeds are dark. Whenever people who are persecuted for righteousness sake, whenever they endure that persecution, when they turn around and they give that glory back to God, people have an opportunity to see that and say, okay, that person deserve what they got, or that person believes what they believe, and I want to stand with somebody like that. I want to be with somebody who really is willing to endure whatever comes their way because their beliefs are so strong. I'm not a, you know, many of you know my political views. I don't hide them very well. I try to do my best not to push them from here. But I'll I'll be perfectly honest with you on, on a lot of things. When I start looking at the ideas behind socialism, when I began to look at that, and just from a, from a purely financial point of view, not ideological, but from a financial point of view, I cannot make the numbers make sense. I, I can't, because um, I saw a great cartoon the other day. There was a, a husband and wife, they were in the cartoon, and, and here's, here's the, the socialist candidate running around, and he's tossing money around, and the guy says, look, he really is giving out free money, and the wife responds, he's got your wallet. Okay, so just from a numerical point of view, the ideal of, of, of socialism as it's being depicted in our country right now, um, it, it doesn't make sense to me numerically. Now, again, I want you to take out all those other things. It doesn't make sense to me numerically. And so when I watch candidates who embrace these things get beaten up, I actually admire the fact that they, they, they hold on to their own beliefs. As crazy and as radical as they sound to me, as challenging as they sound to me, I admire that they're standing up for that because they're taking some lumps. They're they're taking some hard knocks, and I admire that because I look and I say, I wonder what would happen if we had a Christian candidate run for president of the United States, and he stood on a platform that says, I'm going to promote everything that promotes Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. He's going to take a beating. And so while, while many of us, especially in evangelical circles, looked at the last election and said, oh, man, Trump's the, 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 the lesser of two evils. I, listen, I, I just want to be clear on this. We're not electing a religious leader in our country, but unfortunately, none of them have stood up and said, I want to lead this country, and I want to follow God, and there's not, not an option for us. And so we have what's left over, right? Now, again, I want to be really clear on this. I'm not trying to suede your vote, I'm not trying to get you on my side. What I want you to see is, is that there's great admiration in those who stand up for their beliefs, and they're persecuted in the process of that, whether you agree with them or not. But I watch some people take a stand and get persecuted, and I go, I would never do that, because I don't believe in what they believe in. I don't support what they support. There's no way I would take that kind of abuse, because I don't care enough about it to do so. And the sad truth is, is that when light exposes Christianity, and Christians take just a little bit of persecution, especially Western Christians, take just a little bit of persecution. We sink back into the darkness and we don't stand for what we believe in. And people choose a side and say, I don't want I don't, I to don't believe what you believe. I don't want to go through what you, because you don't even stand in the persecution that you deserve. I talked to a, a missionary friend a while back and he was, in, he was, he was jailed for 40 something days and he was jailed in a Eastern, Middle Eastern country. And in the jail cell with him were people who were arrested for terrorism. And after about 20 days of this, they became indignant about the fact he was in jail with them. One of them even said to him very clearly, I know why I'm here. I'm a suicide bomber, an unsuccessful one. But you're here because you have a different ideology than I do? Because you support Christianity? That didn't make sense. You didn't break any laws. You just spoke against what many people believe." He goes, I'm here because I I wanted to kill people. He tells me that that one young man will be with him in, in heaven. He guarantees that. Because by watching the persecution, by watching him set in prison falsely, by watching him be mocked, light shone in a dark place. And it prompted him to choose a side. Many of us love the verse, choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord until things get really, really hard until we lose our job, until we lose our friends, until we can't say we're Christians anymore because that's just not PC or it's too taboo or bad things could happen. What we miss in some of the context of what Jesus is talking about is that there was no separation between religion and politics and regular life. And so even church discipline in the early part of the New Testament, when someone was out of sorts with God and with the congregation of believers, they stopped doing business with them. They cut them off completely. And it wasn't just that we didn't go to church together. We also didn't buy from your store. We also didn't eat at your restaurant. We also didn't trade with you. It became a complete ostracism. We we completely separated in so many ways. Oh, that sounds terrible. There's nothing loving about that. There's no grace in that. I thought Jesus was all about grace. Yeah, that's why he got beaten. That's why he got hung on a cross. That's why he got stabbed in the side. Because he was all about grace. Just keep bringing it on. I'll take whatever you have. He was about love. He was about love that says that I'm going to be a light into this world. I'm going to be the vine. And apart from me, you can do nothing. I'm going to be here exposing darkness so that people have an opportunity to see the difference. And for Jesus to speak to his disciples and say, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. He's saying, if you're doing it right... Life ought to be pretty hard for you because you are an alien in this world. You do not belong here. You don't fit in. And the difficulty is that when you begin to fit in, the better you fit in, the more you look like your persecutors, the less you're persecuted. And that's not people who are going to inherit the earth. Those are not my followers. It's a harsh teaching when you start thinking about it. Because Jesus is setting such a standard that many people aren't going to be able to follow it, including ourselves. We got it good in the United States. We got it really good. Finally, what I want you to see this morning is that persecution brings rewards in eternity. Now, we don't often like to think about this, and there's a lot of debate regarding, does one person get more reward in heaven than another one? Yes, I believe they do. And I believe they do because of the actions as they live here on earth. I believe a guy like Billy Graham deserves a much better house in the mansion than what I do. I believe that there ought to be more crowns, uh, more jewels in his crown than what I deserve. I'm going to be in heaven. I'm going to be next to God. I'm going to spend an eternity getting to know the fullness of him. I, I'm going to get there because of what Jesus did for me, and I accepted that, and my sins are forgiven. I may be living in a cardboard box on a golden street, but I'm in heaven. And I'm not going to have any jealousy because Billy Graham was up the hill a ways in a better part of town. I'm not going to have any jealousy about that because that's going to be removed from me because I'm going to be made whole. But there's something that's really interesting when we think about this eternal understanding of persecution. What would you do to see that somebody else had a better life? What would you do for your kids, parents? What would you do for them to make them not have to go through and not suffer like maybe you did? I lived in a 36-foot travel trailer most of my life because my dad was, my, my stepdad, as I spoke about last week, was a contractor. And so we went where the job was. And so my brother and I shared a bed till I was in the ninth grade. You want to talk about weird? I mean, it's just strange. You start talking to kids in this area about sharing a bed with a sibling at all, let alone when they're 12, 13, 14, 17 years old? That's messed up, man. My family lived in a tin can. I remember my mother made hot sauce one winter. I I don't know why you do this in a travel trailer, but she did and we smell like vinegar and onions. That's one of the reasons why I hate onions today. I mean, she put like 60-something quarts of that stuff up in a 36-by-8-foot aluminum can. Just think about that for a second. You know why she did that? Keep us warm. As long as that stove was going, it was hot in that house. You smelled like the back of a Mexican restaurant, but it was hot in that house. It was warm. And one winter, it was so warm from the condensation on the inside that the glass door that went to the outside froze shut. And my mother would get up at 5 o'clock in the morning. My brother and I slept on the fold-out couch bed, and she would sit on the end of this, on the end of this bed with a hair dryer going around the metal edge of this glass door because it was frozen shut to thaw it out so my dad could go to work so he could provide for us and take care of us and we could be together as a family. To this day, I hate the sound of a hair dryer going off in the morning. It makes me crazy. I will retire rich when I invent the silent hair dryer. Amanda knows that. It's the funniest thing because she walks into the bathroom early in the morning and slams the door. I know she does. She's not here to defend herself, so I can say this. Slams the door so I won't hear the hairdryer. Well, I'm up now. I mean, I tell you this because I want you to understand there's nothing that a, a parent wouldn't do to take care of their kids. And sometimes kids don't understand that. They don't get it. They don't, they don't get the sacrifice that mom and dad make. And, and parents, look, it's a little bit wrong for you to expect them to understand all that but you're going to love them through it and you're going to do it anyway because you know the old phrase, when you're my age or you have kids on your own, you'll understand. It's true, isn't it? Grandparents, greatest day in your life is to watch your, your children become a, a, a grandfather and just laugh your head off, isn't it? I remember my kid put his foot up on the table one day and I reached and smacked his foot and my mother laughed her head off. She thought that was the funniest thing. I said, why is that so funny? She goes, you did that your entire life. I'm like, that's my table. You don't put your feet on the table. persecution. It's a promise, not a possibility. It's the power that frustrates evil. You can't do what God has called you to do and made you to be unless you're going to be persecuted. It brings about great rewards in eternity. Listen to what 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this is light, momentary affliction. This too shall pass. You ever hear that story? This is light momentary affliction. is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. For as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. My son loves to work out, and he's a big, strong, strapping kid. Many of y'all know him. And after his first year at school he kind of got away from the weight room a little bit freshman 15 I think it's called he exceeded that let me just tell you that. he's standing next to me one day and my my daughter as much as I love her appropriately named Grace by the way she goes wow Ethan I look at you and I look at dad and it's like looking into the future When Jesus looks at his creation and he sees those who have professed him and claimed him, that they're hiding from persecution, they look like they're persecutors, he's not looking into the future. He's saying to them very clearly that your eternity is not going to be marked with great reward when I want that to be, because right now the affliction that you're enduring is temporary, mild affliction. And when you compare that to the reality of a place called hell, well, those who are going to d- deny Jesus and not accept his forgiveness, they're going to be... They're going to be in a place where there's wailing and gnashing of teeth, where there's going to be fire and brimstone, where there's going to be constant punishment. But the worst thing is going to be they're going to be outside of the presence of a holy, loving God. And so the, the persecution that we endure here on this earth, falsely, man, it's an honor to be called a prophet of old. And why none of us really want to be sawn in half, and none of us want to have all of our finances taken away from us because of our beliefs, it's temporary. And there's a reward for us in eternity for those who are persecuted. I know persecution is not something that we all like to think about, but it is a reality. It's a a, a promise, not a possibility. And so Christ follower, I just want to challenge you this before we leave this morning. Is your Christianity just a little too easy? Is your faith just a little too simple? Are you losing friends? Are you losing circles of influence. I'm not talking about I don't go to the bar anymore. Well, good for you. whip do. I'm talking about do you stand up for what you believe in and people say, I don't want to be around that person? Or do you stand up for what you believe in and people are saying there's something different about them. I'd like to know more about that. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. Let's pray together. Father, probably one of the strangest prayers I could possibly pray is that you bring about persecution upon us. It's not something that we just sign up for and volunteer for and desire and want, but Lord, I I truly believe that there are moments in my own faith, in my own life, that are just a little too easy, a little too simple. It's because I've, I've become a friend of the world, I've begun to look like the rest of the world. God, I I believe that there are many people that feel the same way and that we're not getting arrested, we're we're not getting thrown in jail, we're not having our businesses taken from us, we're not having our family removed from us. But God, in the process of that, we we can't stand and watch a nation rebuild if we're not willing to stand in the gap. And so, Father, for right now, we, we pray that we would embrace persecution as proof of you working in our lives. And we wouldn't run from it, Lord. It's not an easy thing to run toward it, but we wouldn't run from it. But we would realize that this is a temporary thing that's leading up to an eternity where we're going to be blessed. And so, God, we ask that this morning that you'd help us to see that. That, Father, it would be an honor to be called a prophet of old instead of a non-profit, which so many of us are today. So God, bless us, forgive us. Father, don't just give us boldness to go out and proclaim the word. But Father, I pray that you give us compassion to love people the way Jesus did. A compassion that endures even the cross. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. This morning we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. Part of the Lord's Supper is just clearly Jesus saying that I'm going to give my life